Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Today's class and breakfast has been sponsored by Mo Yadid and, de- and dedicated in honor of his wife, Denise, and their new daughter, Jill. Mabaruk alek, yaris, mabaruk, mazatov, mabruk. By the way, if I sing, they double the price of the, of the breakfast. Okay. Breakfast and dedica- is dedicated as well in loving memory of Sam Yisai, Lava Shalom. Li'ilui Nishmat Shalomo Ben Rifka, Lava Shalom, sponsored by Abraham Nahamayas. As well, uh, Breakfast in the Class is dedicated in loving memory of Li'ilui Nishmat, Leslie Bat Marian, Alea Shalom, Michaela Trotsky's aunt, sponsored by Sam Sutton, and the entire Trotsky family. <coughs> okay. Rabutai, we begin our Haggadah with a statement. Or some opinions. This is the bread of the poor. That our fathers ate in the lands of Egypt. Okay? And what do we say? What, what announcement do we make when we're, um, when we're beginning our Haggadah, our Seder? We say, Anyone who's hungry, right? Let him come eat. Anyone who needs, right? Let him come and have a Korban Pesach. Okay? Now, it's quite an interesting thing because those two words are subtly different. Who's hungry? Come and eat. Who needs a Korban Pesach? Come and do the Korban Pesach with us. Or come and do the Pesach Seder with us uh, to, in today's day and age. Okay? Now, it's an interesting thing because... If you had to use, let's say we were sending out a tweet and we had 140 characters back in the day. I think they extended it now, okay? But let's say you had a limited amount of characters and you had to cut that down. How would you do that? I would say, Anyone who needs, let them come eat and do Pesach. Dichvin means the guy's starving, okay? Those are not the same. And yet, we could have combined the two Anyone who needs, let them come eat and have Korban Pesach. Now, if anything, if we're looking for anything on the night of the Seder, it should be to kind of get to the food a little bit faster. Right? We have a crazy family. My family, we take forever. And uh, we've trained the kids from when they're very young. They eat before, not to think that the meal of the evening, the thing that's going to fill them up, is Shulchan Orech. That way they're not cranky during Magid. It's a very good idea to feed your kids and as well, even your uh, people in the family that are like kids, to make sure that they eat something before Pesach comes so that there's food in their belly, so that they're not feeling rushed or, as the kids say today, hangry, which is a combination of hungry and angry. Okay? By the way, which I think is, there's a market right there for combining all sorts of other emotions. Like when you're in love but angry, but hungry, are you hungry? I'm not sure why... We've chosen only one of them to go, to go forward. You know, honey, I love you and I'm willing to get married to you, but please, can we go to the restaurant now? Okay? Now, I want to say that this idea expressed in Halach Ma'anya is a very powerful one. It's how we begin the Seder and it in some ways seems a little bit strange. And after you've invited the person who needs the Pesach and after you've invited the person that needs to eat, what do we say? Hashatach Right? We are now slaves next year in We are now in uh, in Chutz Laaretz next year Bezat Hashem in Yerushalayim. There seems to be a bit of a non sequitur um, between these two these two concepts. Why is this the beginning, the opening piece of the Haggadah number one, and number two? We're then saying that if you know after we've invited the person, then we're going to Eretz Israel. What is that? 
What is that communicating? So Rabotai, I want to share something very beautiful. You know, when we come a little bit later in the Haggadah, there's a very beautiful part in the Haggadah. And the Haggadah says, Dayenu. Right? If God took us out of Egypt, but didn't beat the living daylights out of them, Dayenu, it would have been enough. Like, you know, did we hate them that much that if Hashem said, guys, you could leave in like a while, or you could leave now, here are two first-class seats to Israel. <laughs> I'll take you out right now. Or if you'd like, you could fly later economy through the desert, right? And I'll beat up on the Egyptians for a while. Like, what do you want, Rat? Which would you rat? Dayenu, like, maybe it was nice to see that justice had been served, that people didn't get away with the heinous crimes they'd committed. But, like, it would have been enough. But, but God did both. And if he did, if he took us out, and he did shifatim, he didn't give us their money. That would have been enough, correct? What if you're a slave and someone comes and redeems you? Are you going to turn around to the guy and say, look, it's very nice that you redeemed me, but how am I supposed to make a living? I feel like along with the redemption should come an unemployment check of $50,000 just to get me back on my feet. And you know what? If you're not going to give me that extra money, I'd rather not leave, right? No one says that. So the Dayenu seems to make logical sense differentiating between our needs and our wants. And those two words in today's society have become so blurred that people use them interchangeably. I need, no, you don't need that. You want it. You want it. And by the way, the interesting things, interesting thing is that while we've shoved so many wants into the needs column, somehow in that process, things that are in the needs column have been shoved into the wants column. Yeah, you know, I want to get married. I want to have a family. You know, I want to find true love, but, you know, not everyone's so lucky. But I need an iPhone. You understand? Our lexicon has gone crazy. Right? We, we are obsessed with the things that are most easily accessible to our brain. And the things that come up consistently, even if they're less important, they have a disproportionate effect uh, on our brains. So the brain... Uh, prefers to think about something that happens all the time. That's why you, when you have one kid who really needs something from you, but a second kid is just way more annoying. Who do you take care of first? The annoying kid. If two kids are fighting and one of them is screaming, what does your brain tell you? What'd you do? Because you, your brain is saying, shut that noise off. <laughs> it's driving me crazy. Okay? So we mix up these two terminologies, needs and wants. And Dayenu kind of sets that record straight and says, you know what? Every single extra layer that God gave us, that was unnecessary. And we could have led beautiful lives with just one, without two. And we could have led beautiful lives with one and two, without three. Or one, two, and three, without four. But the, com the commentators in Mifarshim ask that as you go down the line, it doesn't make as much sense. Because we hit one which says, Ilu Kiravanu, uh, if he had brought us close to Har Sinai, and he did not give us a Torah, Dayenu. Now, what would the point be of being at Mount Sinai without receiving the Torah? Could you imagine? It's like um, the next stop on our tour bus is uh, Mount Sinai. Uh, what are we? Why are we stopping here? Is it bathrooms? There are no bathrooms in Mount Sinai. Is it a beautiful view? It's one of the smallest, least impressive mountains here in the desert. But I just wanted to bring you here in order to not give you the Torah. 
Right? Dayenu, no way. The Jewish people would have complained for like a year. You brought us all the way here, you, for what? Okay? Now there's many different interpretations uh, as to what that means. I'll give you one answer, one concept. One idea that's brought is that the Jewish people were saying that if I was brought to Har Sinai, even if I didn't get the Torah, at Har Sinai, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave, forgave us. We were like wiped clean from our sins. People were healed from all their ailments. I always found this answer a little difficult to swallow because the reason why Mount Sinai was a place where we lost our ailment, people that were injured or were uh, disabled lost those disabilities was because in the aftermath of the giving of the Torah, that created this monumental shift, this fundamental shift in them, where they were different people to the people that were before. And if the person before that I was had this problem, this second version of me didn't necessarily need to. Had God not given the Torah, would they have received that healing power? Would they have received that forgiveness that came with the fact that now they were now as gerim, as converts, kikatan shinolad, like a young one that was just brand new, uh, newly born, you know? So that's a little bit of a difficult answer for me to understand. But I want to share with you that there's an, an idea here that to me really stands out. And that is that maybe what we're talking about here, when we talk about the Haggadah, is we're talking about the fact that not everybody whose needs seem to be A, actually need A, oftentimes that which is missing is really B, even though on the surface it actually looks like they need A. And let me explain what that means in terms of the Haggadah. You know, we understand that the main reason why Am Yisrael is in Chutz it's now, why we, are not, we have not been redeemed, is because of Sinat Hinam. And while the holiday is beautiful, you know, all these reenactments, the reenactment of the Korban Pesach, the reenactment of families coming together, right, which symbolized the idea of families coming together, Tachusu al where they would come together to make a Korban Pesach in Israel, all these things which are kind of like the real thing, like the real thing, like the real thing. The only thing that's the real thing on the table might be Coca-Cola, right? Everything else is some sort of cheap imitation, some sort of cheap knockoff of being in the Beit HaMikdash. So on the one hand, it's beautiful to celebrate. On the other hand, it's a little bit heartbreaking. You know, this is how Hillel used to do it. Don't tell me what Hillel used to do. Bring me with Tehiyat HaMetim to Hillel. Let me watch him make his shawarma, Okay. Now, Rabotai, and this is so important, all right? If we want, if we want what we really want from the Seder, we want to be back in Eretz Israel, in the Beit HaMikdash, bringing this Korban as a Jewish people, celebrating our freedom. But we know what's holding us back from that, and what is it? Sinat Chinam, hatred of another. Not having the care and concern for someone uh, that, that you should. And I've always said this. There's something interesting about Sinat Chinam. Because... The idea itself seems to contradict. You know, Elie Wiesel used to say, what is the opposite of love? Not hate, indifference. What's the opposite of hate? Indifference, right? Like, you see a random person on the street that you never saw before. I don't love him. I also don't hate him. I'm completely ambivalent. I don't care one way or the other. I don't know him. So there's a level that you need to get to of, of connection in order to hate someone. You can't hate someone without any connection. It's impossible. So on some level, the concept of sinat chinam for nothing is a contradiction in terms. How could you hate someone for nothing? If they did nothing, you don't really hate them. Right? And the answer is, 
at least one of the many answers offered, is that the true understanding of Sinat Chinam is maybe not when you hate the person for nothing, but when you don't notice the person and you don't notice their needs, right? And the act that I do seems to the person as if it was an act of the utmost hatred, of callousness, of a lack of care, of a lack of concern. Why? Because I didn't bother to look to see what it is that you're going through and how hurtful these deeds or these words that I'm saying are to you. So I could hurt you without being aware. That's sinat chinam. For nothing, I come across like someone who hates you. That's how these two gemaras actually coincide. They coalesce. One gemara says that we're, we're chased out of Eretz Israel because of sinat chinam, hatred, gratuitous hatred. Then there's another gemara that says, you know why the Jewish people were banished from Israel? Because that they did not do with one another lefnim mishurat hadin. What? That's like here and here. Because they didn't go the extra level. They didn't go beyond the letter of the law. But now we understand that those two things are actually synonymous. What makes a person go beyond? What makes a person go the extra step? You see someone who needs a ride and you offer them a ride. And you know what? It's out of your way. What makes you decide, you know what? It's fine, I'll take you. Even if I'm late. When you feel, you see the guy's an old guy, he can't walk, had this bleeding out of his face, I don't know, right? You're like, all right, Rahi. Please, let me take you home, but please don't bleed on my seats, right? You, you feel for the guy. When you feel for the guy, you go, ironically. When you don't feel for someone, it's not that you just lose but you're capable of doing something that looks like an act of pure spite, of hatred. You're capable of saying or doing something without even being aware. So the very first thing that we do, Rabotai, the night of Pesach, is the same night of Tisha B'Av, the same night of the week, every year. And if that's the case, then what we're looking at, what we're looking at is this idea that we can have this night play out in two different ways. It can be a night of destruction if we're willing to sit with our families, to run to the palace and not care about someone else, or to recognize that someone else has needs and to bring that person in to our lives. Sometimes it just takes an extra second to pay close attention. What is this person really saying? Okay? There's a man, his name is Ruven Kaflon. He's a young man, walks into a Sifarim store, a bookstore in Israel, in Jerusalem, near, near uh, um, uh, Meash'arim. Anyway, he's looking through the books, he finds a book he wants to look at, all of a sudden he becomes aware, I don't know if you've ever had this, you become aware even before you see that someone is staring at you. Like you can feel the eyes, you know, penetrating. Yeah. Anyway, so he looks up and he sees this guy is like looking straight at him. And he's just looking with the most, the strangest expression. Like he, he's not sure if he knows him. He, he kind of looks away. He's embarrassed at the strength of this guy's gaze. He looks down a couple minutes, but as we all have done before, he kind of then sneaks a look. You know when you do that? Super sneaky, like, you know, you sneak a look, right? If the guy's looking at you, no matter how fast you do that, he's still going to catch you, right? Anyway, so he sneaks a look, and the guy's still staring, like, right at him. But it's almost like he's looking through him. Maybe he thinks to himself, maybe this guy is a terrorist. Maybe he's just a weirdo, you know? And the guy starts making his way towards him. He looks a little bit like he's drunk, right? He's uh, stumbling forward. He comes towards the guy. And he says, sir, he says, he says, you're, are you going to buy that book? 
that you're, you're turning the pages. You buy, are you going to buy it? The man's, Reuven is very uncomfortable. He says, uh, yeah, like figuring maybe there's the last copy. I don't know, right? He says, yeah, actually, I, I, I'm going to buy it. And the man says, can, can I see it for one second? He hands him the book. The man holds the book, feels it, gives it back to him. And he says, please, if you're going to buy it, can I at least pay for it? He says, what? He says, no, thank you very much. I'm fine. I could, I could buy the book by myself. The man now looks at him and he's pleading. He says, please, you have to do me this favor. You have to let me buy you the book. And now the guy feels so weirded out and so uncomfortable. He just wants the situation to be over as quickly as possible. So he says to this man, he says, you know what? If you want to buy the book for me, fine. He says, uh, you can buy the book for me. He says, but why? Why do you want to buy this book for me? And the man says, I love learning. I love Torah. And recently, I lost my eyesight and I went blind. And I'm desperate to be able to learn something, to feel a connection to learning. So I came to the bookstore and I could hear that someone is there turning the pages. I came towards you. I could feel the book. I could smell the pages. At least if you let me pay for it, then I'll have a part in your learning. And he says, but please promise me one thing. Had that now, Ruven is tearing up. He's very, wow, the strength of this encounter. He says to Ruven, and please, he says, when you get tired or distracted from your sefer and you want to close the book, think of me. Ruven is uh, crying. He takes the book home. He goes, what's it called? He, you know, he goes to study and without thinking, he finishes studying that night. He's tired and he closes the book and just as he closes the book, he sees the face of this kind man, desperate for more Torah, desperate to learn, right? And suddenly he wasn't so tired anymore. He opens the book again. Reuven went to the bookstore and he said, I have to tell you, he tells the owner, I have to tell you the most remarkable story about this man, the book, Every time you feel tired, think of me. He's holding the book. How much he loved it. How beautiful, how close, how connected he was with Torah. And the man says, Hazaku Baruch, he's here almost every other day. <laughs> you know, a lot of times you look at someone and you see the guy, he looks weird. Maybe he's a terrorist. Maybe he's a weirdo. Then he stumbles a little bit when he's walking. Ah, he's for sure drunk. We decide what the guy needs. Probably already... If I or you were Ruven, we already be feeling in our pocket, all right, this is going to cost me something. Do I have a da? Oh, I only have a five. <laughs> Let me see if I can quickly get change. So when the guy asks me, I don't have to give him the five. Right? We ascribe, we decide what someone needs without actually listening to their heart, without actually listening to what they need. There's two different people in the beginning of Halach Ma'anya. One is Had Tzrich, and one is Had Dichfin. One is a guy who's starving. Why is he starving? Because he doesn't have money. He's poor. He needs food. You invite the guy who's starving to eat food. You're giving him what he needs. He needs food. Let him come and eat. The guy that needs a Korban Pesach is not a guy. He's not a guy who uh, doesn't have any money. He's not a guy who's starving. He doesn't need your food. 
He needs to be included in a Korban Pesach. He needs to be included in a Seder. He might have all the money in the world, but no wife and no children and no family. He might have nowhere to go. That man needs something very different from you. He can afford his own Seder. He can buy his own whole Korban Pesach if he wants. He doesn't need that. What does that person need from you? He needs to be made to feel welcome. To be made to feel like he's part of the family. Rabbi Otay, people need different things and if we're paying attention, we get to hear it, we get to see it. We say in the Beracha of the guest to the Baal Habayit, we say, our table should be our table should be like the table of Abraham Avinu. Call Raev Menu Yochav. Call Tzameh Menu Yishteh. Anyone who's hungry, well, menu, from it, from the table of Abraham Avinu, and also from our table, the hungry person should eat. Call Tzameh Menu is thirsty. Menu Yishteh. He should drink from our table. And I want to ask you this because I think that this is really powerful. That word Menu. What is it adding? We just said. Our table should be like the table of Abraham Avinu. Kot Sameh, Koraev, Yochal, anyone who's hungry will eat, anyone who's thirsty will drink. And the answer is, it's not the food that gives a hungry person oftentimes food to eat. And it's not a drink that gives a person something to drink. It's the style of the table you run. Where do you sit the guy at the table? Did you offer to give him the food first? He feels welcome, not like he's a burden. He will eat from the table of Abraham Avinu. It's not enough to have the pantry of Abraham Avinu. You have to have the table of Abraham Avinu. You need to sit and like Abraham does, what do you need? Abraham's running back and forth like a waiter, like it's the biggest pleasure and privilege in the world, like he's so excited to be able to serve to serve his guests. Uh, Rabotai, I want to end with this. We asked the question about Dayenu. It says that if we would have brought us to Har Sinai and not given us the Torah, Dayenu, enough. And I asked, what was the purpose of coming to Har Sinai and not receiving the Torah? If you pay close attention, that's not what it says. It doesn't say that we didn't get the Torah. Velo kibalnu Torah. It says... He did not give us the Torah. And if this is a question, you might be forgetting a pasuk in the Torah. The pasuk says, This mitzvah I'm giving to you, I'm placing in front of you, right? It's not far away. It's not distant. It's not the other side of the ocean. It's not in the heavens. Right, that you should say, who's going to go up to the heavens and get it? It's not on the other side of the ocean that you should say, who's going to cross the ocean and bring it to me? Says Rashi on the spot. What is the pasuk telling you? God said, it's not there. It's not on the other side of the ocean. It's not in the heavens. But if it was, you'd build ladders. You'd go up and you'd get it. You'd go take the heavens, take the Torah from the heavens. You'd go take the Torah from the other side of the ocean. So if God had brought us to the place where Torah was ready to come down to earth, but did not hand us the keys, did not hand us the luchot, what would we have done from that holy place? We would have ascended on heaven and taken it of our own volition, like the pasuk says, Lo that you should say, <coughs> Sometimes, <coughs> a person doesn't need to be given something. Sometimes, 
A person just needs to be brought to the right place. Sometimes a person doesn't need an introduction. They just need you to put them in the right place. I'm not going to do this. I can't do this. I can't do this for everybody. Don't do anything for anybody. Could you get the guy to be in the right place, sitting in the minyan next to the person? Let him take that initiative. In fact, for some people, that's much healthier of a give, of an ask. Where you don't take care of all their problems, but you lead them to the water and then you tell them, Faddal. Noticing what a person needs is the opposite, the antidote to Sinat Chinam. Starting our seder like that with a recognition of who needs, who's starving, and who's lonely is the antidote to turning this evening from the evening of Tisha B'Av to the evening of Gerut, Lishana, Haba'a, Yerushalayim, Habenuya. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen.